So how are you feeling about this rally? I'll tell you how I feel about it. It feels ominous. It feels ominous. I am not buying it. But then, you know, people show you the chart, the Wall Street cheat sheet, and then there you are at disbelief at the beginning of a bull market. I sure feel disbelief right now. I don't know about you. Again, I'm still in this kind of bear market rally camp. I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, there are people with far better training than I have as far as, you know, prognosticating on the financial markets. But, you know, maybe it's all a wash in the end anyway. We're just all reading tea leaves here. Like who who does really know the future? So, you know, maybe the reality is, is my humble opinion here is is worthwhile as anybody else's. That might also be the, <laughs> the takeaway. Hello and welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I welcome you back. And we have a cool show today for you. It features interviews from AME Roundup. And we got some great political people, such as the premier of the Northwest Territories, Carolyn Cochran. And she is interviewed by Henry Lazenby. And we also got the Manitoba Natural Resource Minister, Greg Nesbitt. And they were very interesting. They're both interviewed by Northern Minor reporter Henry Lazenby. And I mean, it was a very similar message, which is open for business. We are open for business. And they want the investment. They are ready to lend a helping hand from the sounds of it. So, you know, the politicians seem to be on board. And not just any politicians, the politicians who are in power seem to be on board, at least in Manitoba and the Northwest Territories for resource development. So those were very interesting interviews. And they're actually quite short, which is kind of nice. So we get a little bit of a buffet of speakers here. And we also have Mark Ferguson, Research Director at S&P Global Market Intelligence. And he is interviewed by Frick Ells, Mining.com Executive Editor, And Frick presses him on the whole tension on lithium as far as will there be enough lithium? What is the reality as far as auto production? And I have to say, like, this whole greening of the grid sure is using a lot of resources, isn't it? I mean, we have to point this out at a certain point. It's using a ton of resources. So I guess the idea is in the long term, it's going to be worth it. But we better be right about these technologies that we decide on. I mean, the CEO of Toyota came out and he had an interview in the Wall Street Journal where he's talking about how hybrids are the real solution. So, you know, a few people have discussed this, like we need to be making sure we're making the right choices here because we're using a huge amount of metals to get to where we want to go. So if we're making a wrong turn anywhere, this could turn into an environmental catastrophe, in fact. I mean, we can't forget this. This is not simply about burning oil. Because remember, every single metal that comes out of the earth, it requires energy. So we're burning oil no matter what's coming out of the earth for the time being, until everything is electrified. And when that happens, we're going to be, I guess, burning lithium or however that works, right? So anyways... Frick asked some pressing questions. And finally, we have an interesting interview, and it's short and sweet, with Mitchell Wieladal, who is Product Development Associate with CDN Resource Laboratories. And he talks about the latest developments in certified reference material, also known as CRM or standard, an important aspect of quality control for assay labs handling exploration drill core. 
So it's a little technical, but it's only four minutes, so we can all handle that. So good job, Henry, on that interview as well. And Mitchell is also a very good speaker, so it's actually quite interesting what is going on over there. Other than that, my friends, we have a big, you know, merger attempt that is going on with Newmont and Newcrest. Newmont has put in a bid to take over Newcrest, so we're going to look closer at that story. And also coming up, we have the Global Mining Symposium on February 22nd, 2023, so that is 15 days from now. And simply go to events.northernminer.com to register your interest. And while you're there, you will see Luca Giacovazzi, Chief Executive Officer of Wailu Metals, a company that was all over the mining press last year, so that should be very interesting. And also Catherine Boggs, Chairperson of Hecla Mining Company, and of course, there's a lot going on at Hecla, and a lot of investors are very excited about silver. You know, it's interesting, though. I mean, I was listening to some guy on YouTube, so for what that's worth, and there are, you know, all sorts of quality on YouTube, but he was making the argument for platinum, and I thought that was actually quite interesting. He's, he was saying, you know, everybody's excited about silver and even gold, but platinum is the one to be really excited about. And I just thought that was interesting. I had never heard that before. And so I share it with you here today for what it's worth. And again, nothing is financial advice here, as always. So let's get into the stories. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner and on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts, and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, Newmont makes $17 billion U.S. takeover bid for Newcrest. So a big move in the gold world here. So this is by Cecilia Jamazmi on the Northern Miner. Newmont Mining, the world's largest gold producer, is seeking to build a global gold superpower by approaching Australia's top miner of the yellow metal, Newcrest Mining, with a $17 billion takeover. If successful, the deal would be one of the biggest in Australian history, though initial feedback from analysts and shareholders suggests that Newmont will have to improve its bid. It could also increase Newmont's footprint in copper, a metal which has soared in popularity and price recently due to its use in renewable energy and electric vehicles as economies decarbonize. That is an interesting point. Maybe that is what this is about. The offer is already 4.7% higher than a previous proposal rejected by Newcrest as the Denver, Colorado giant disclosed in a statement. Newcrest said on Monday it was considering the proposal. The miner is in the midst of finding a new CEO as previous boss Sandeep Biswas step down in December. In that respect, the timing is quite good for Newmont. BMO's analyst Jackie Przbolowski said in a research note on Monday that while the offer will likely come as a surprise to the market, given Newmont's generally conservative approach to growth, it should be viewed as positive. Newcrest's assets fit well with Newmont's existing portfolio, she noted. Additionally, the larger size of the combined company is consistent with Newmont's recent comments around responsibility pursuing size Przbolowski wrote. Goldman Sachs also reacted positively to the news, highlighting that the integration of Newcrest into Newmont's portfolio would provide the U.S. gold producer with a path to, quote, immediately and substantially, end quote, lift its output, considering the company's, quote, flattish production outlook for the next two years on a standalone basis. 
And we have a quote from Goldman Sachs. The deal also increases Newmont's exposure to copper and expands its footprints in locations such as Australia and Canada in particular that the miner is comfortable with. Morningstar analyst John Mills noted that the offer may push other gold miners to join the race for Newcrest, given the quality of its assets. We think Newcrest is now in play, but if a deal is to be done, it will likely need to be at a higher price. John Mills wrote, Barrick Gold's chief executive officer, Mark Brissow, told the Financial Times on Monday that his company, which in 2019 attempted an unsuccessful hostile takeover of Newmont, did not plan to table a rival offer for Newcrest. Quote, it doesn't make sense right now. Growing bigger for the sake of growing bigger is not a strategy. Newmont's offer implies a 21% premium to Newcrest's share price before the bid was announced. Its proposal is via an agreed scheme of arrangement that would need to be recommended by the Newcrest board and subject to due diligence as well as shareholder vote that could stretch out for months. And don't forget, Newcrest owns Predium Resources and the Bruce Jack Gold Mine. So that is an interesting little tidbit there. So you can read the whole thing on northernminer.com. Newmont makes $17 billion bid for Newcrest. Continuing on, this is quite fascinating. Gold, as an inflationary hedge, makes Turkey world's biggest buyer. Of course, Turkey has had an inflation problem, and now Bloomberg News is reporting that Turkey is now the world's biggest buyer. And this is Bloomberg News via mining.com. Turkey was the biggest buyer of gold among central banks last year, with households also rushing to buy the commodity to shield from geopolitical uncertainty and rampant inflation. The central bank's gold reserves were at the highest level on record, the World Gold Council said in a report on Tuesday. The official figure was 542 tons, up by 148 tons. That is quite something. Demand for jewelry in the country also increased and jumped 32% year-on-year in the last quarter. Despite the rise in the local gold price during Q4, soaring consumer inflation brought the investment motive to the fore. Said the World Gold Council, Turkey has stepped up its ambitions to produce more gold than the existing average of 35 tons annually over the last five years, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said last week. Quote, together with oil, gold is one of the most imported items, he said, during the opening of a new gold mine facility in the country's west. Quote, we have the reserves to meet at least half of the demand in this area. The price of gold in lira terms increased by 40% on an annual basis, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. So, very interesting story out of Turkey. And continuing on, another story from Bloomberg News via mining.com, U.S. plans 200% tariff on Russia aluminum as soon as this week. And it says the U.S. is preparing to slap a 200% tariff on Russian-made aluminum as soon as this week to keep pressure on Moscow as the one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine nears, according to people familiar with the situation. President Joe Biden has yet to give the official go-ahead, and there have been concerns in the administration about collateral damage on U.S. industries, including aerospace, automobiles, said the people who asked not to be identified, discussing internal deliberations. The move, which has been contemplated for months, is also aimed at Russia, the world's second largest aluminum producer, because Moscow has been dumping supplies on the U.S. market and harming American companies. The timing of the decision could slip past this week, one of the people said. So interesting. So aluminum, I mean, there was a congressperson who was calling it a strategic metal recently. And we have this other story as well, and the timing sure is strange. U.S. detains Chinese aluminum 
suspected of forced labor origin. Also, Bloomberg News via mining.com. The U.S. is beginning to detain imports of aluminum products suspected of being made through forced labor, particularly from China's Xinjiang region, according to one of the world's biggest shipping firms. U.S. Customs and Border Protection has begun issuing detention notices for such products. AP Muller Maersk AS said Tuesday on its website, adding that the action will most likely target aluminum used in automotive parts. Allegations by the U.S. and other countries of forced labor in Xinjiang, which Beijing has denied, are among a constellation of frictions between the world's two biggest economies that increasingly see each other as their top strategic competitor. And here's the advisory from A.P. Muller-Mayersk. Quote, companies importing aluminum products or commodities with aluminum components should be proactive in ensuring compliance with the UFLPA. This may include conducting due diligence on their supply chain and implementing compliance programs. I mean, aluminum is a like major input. So companies importing aluminum products, so that sounds like a lot of companies are now going to have to do their due diligence on aluminum. Maybe some of them already do, but that sounds like a, frankly, it seems like a tectonic shift to me. I mean, but who knows? Continuing on, historically low stocks behind spike in zinc price for delivery tomorrow. This is Reuters, and this was posted Today, February 7th, so Reuters via mining.com, prices of London Metal Exchange zinc for delivery tomorrow traded at a large premium on Monday over prices for the following day due to buying fueled by nervousness about availability in the LME system as stocks hit historic lows. This could have been our opening story here. The phenomenon in which metal is priced more richly in the near term than further out known as backwardation, is often seen as a sign of underlying tightness in the market. The premium for buying zinc tomorrow and selling it the day after, a trade known as Tom Next, rose to $10 a ton compared with a session low at $1.50 a ton. Last Thursday, it rose to $12 a ton, the highest since October 19th. Traders are braced for turbulence in the LME zinc market as it may be heading for a short squeeze in which short position holders have to buy back their positions because they do not have the metal needed to deliver against them. However, rules banning users of the exchange from placing Tomnext orders at prices more than 1% of the previous day's cash price should keep volatility in check. And we have a quote from the LME, who said in a notice to members last March, quote, Should a trade be executed at a price greater than this, the relevant members will be instructed to book a reversal and correction so that the price is in line with the backwardation limit. So... More reports of tightness at the LME. Isn't that interesting? And finally, solutions for mining permits a priority, says BC Premier. And this is Amanda Stutt on the northernminer.com. British Columbia is a major feature of Canada's mining landscape, as demonstrated by the record-setting $740 million spent by mineral explorers in 2022, Premier David Ebby told last week's AME Roundup conference in Vancouver. Almost 6,000 geoscientists, prospectors, financiers, investors, indigenous partners, suppliers, and government representatives from 39 countries gathered for the event. The previous spending record was set a decade ago at $681 million, and 2021 saw $660 million in exploration spending. The rise was underpinned by an 84% increase in copper exploration budgets, Ebby said, with the province's Golden Triangle in the Northwest receiving most of the attention. 
In all, there are eight new mines or mine expansions in the pipeline in BC worth a total of $6.6 billion. So BC is also highlighting its friendliness to the resource industry. So those are your news stories. Now, let's take a look at metal prices. Turning to metal prices, let's just take a quick look at the 10-year bond for context. It is yielding 3.6532%. That is 0.15% higher than last week, and we haven't seen a number like this for a couple of months when we saw 3.75 when it was coming off over 4%. So it does seem to be rising a little bit here, the U.S. 10-year Treasury bond. Turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on February 7th, gold is trading at $1,872.06 per ounce. That is $18 lower than last week. Silver is trading at $22.27 per ounce. That is $0.79 lower than last week. And Platinum is trading at $973.17 per ounce. That is $21 lower than last week. And Palladium is trading at $1,588.16 per ounce. That is $16 lower than last week. So precious metals are down. Turning to our industrial metals, copper is trading at $4.11 per pound. That is $0.13 lower than last week. And aluminum is two cents lower at one dollar and sixteen cents per pound. Lead is four cents lower at ninety-six cents per pound, and nickel is two cents higher at thirteen dollars and twenty cents per pound. Tin is a dollar fifty-four lower at thirteen dollars even per pound, and cobalt is trading at eighteen dollars and sixty cents per pound. That is three dollars and twenty-two cents lower. Then last week, and zinc is seven cents lower at one dollar and fifty-two cents per pound. Zooming out, I would say nickel is definitely the standout, with it being the only metal here that has gone up. So that would suggest there is some kind of tightness in the nickel market. And otherwise, it looks like metals are taking a breather from fairly buoyant prices here. You know, we've had a big rally in January. Now the big question is, is will it all be given back or will it just take a breather, consolidate and go higher? So it seems to be following the risk on risk off trade here. And the thing is, is the drawbacks in the industrial metals are not that large. So very interesting. And since, you know, industrial metals are still fairly expensive and those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have four short interviews for you from the AME Roundup Conference. These are on the Northern Miner website as video, but you can also hear some of them here today. And they're done by Frick Ells and Northern Miner reporter Henry Lazenby. So I will introduce each video separately. But to begin, we will start with Carolyn Cochran, Premier of the Northwest Territories, who spoke to Henry Lazenby about the opportunities in the province and really the need for investment in infrastructure in the province and really the benefit that the federal government 
could receive from that. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you after this interview to introduce the next. For tuning in to the Northern Miner, coming to you live from the exhibition floor of the AMEBC Roundup event. Joining me is the Premier of the Northwest Territories, Premier Carolyn Cochrane. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. All right. So you've had the opportunity to walk around the exhibition hall and listen to some presentations today. Can you share with us some of the key takeaways that you have gathered thus far? Absolutely. First, it's really exciting to see the amount of people here at the Roundup. Uh, you know, COVID took a hit on all of us. We were all isolated, but it's open again. The other thing that's really important is the amount of people, the, the need for critical minerals throughout Canada and the globe. Uh, we've always been very dependent on our resource sector in the Northwest Territories. We promoted it. We were a bit worried with our diamond mines and their life term, but now that critical minerals is there, we have so much to offer the Northwest Territories. So. That is totally exciting. We, there are needs, we have infrastructure gaps, but we have a lot to offer as well. So. so would you mind just going into a little bit more detail, perhaps at the top level, you know, how the territory is positioning itself to capitalize on the advent of critical minerals? Absolutely. So one of the things that we have in the Northwest Territories uh, as I had said, we have infrastructure gaps, so we need to address that. But what we have, and I'm really proud of, is that we've already formed strong relationships with the Indigenous governments there. So by having the Indigenous governments at the table when we're looking at projects, we'll save the mining corporations, mining companies, a lot of money and a lot of time in the consultation process. So that's one thing that we have to offer to the world, actually. We do need infrastructure, there's no doubt about it, but what I'd like to say on that too is that when Canada invests in the Northwest Territories in our infrastructure, they get half of our resource royalties from the Northwest Territories. So we need the investment up front, but they will, that investment will be returned in the long run. So we have an obligation in Canada to make sure that we're part of the green economy, that we're actually working towards this as well, and we have a lot to offer in the Northwest Territories. All right. So, so what concrete steps have your government taken to enable junior explorers to come in and look for those critical minerals that we really need for the future? Well, like I said, I mean, we've already worked on the relationship with indigenous governments. It's critical to us. I've heard very many people across the, at the Roundup saying that our staff at the infrastructure, ITI, is business friendly. We will work with you, we will support you, we will help you through the process to get what we need. Yeah, and so the Northwest Territories obviously is best known in the mining industry for its rich diamond kimberlites, right? And I take it that there was a recent new discovery there. It must uh, surely bring some excitement to the government roundtables. It does. I mean, in honesty, I mean, the mining, first it was gold in the Northwest Territories, then it was diamonds. Mm. Like I said, we were kind of worried about the, the life term of that. But now the excitement is there. We have more than half of the critical minerals that are listed by Canada. So we're excited. We have a lot to offer. We're very friendly, business friendly. Um, mining has always been a major factor in the Northwest Territories. Come to the Northwest Territories. We will help you through the process. All right. Are there perhaps any other important points that you would like to add at this time? The only other thing I'd like to say is that we all have an obligation to make sure that we 
we address climate change, that we address the green economy, and by working together, all of us, the federal government, the territorial government, investments, uh, mining sector, when we all work together, we will solve the, the issues that we face in the world today. So let's work in partnership. Excellent. Well, it's great to have an optimistic view from a government. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. We will turn to Greg Nesbitt, Manitoba Natural Resources Minister, who is also interviewed by Henry Lazenby at the Association for Mineral Exploration Roundup Conference in British Columbia. Thank you for tuning in to the Northern Miner. We're coming to you live from the exhibition floor of the AMEBC Roundup event being held in Vancouver. Joining me is the Honorable Greg Nesbitt, Resource Minister for Manitoba. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So let's start with Manitoba and the critical minerals potential. That's very topical during this conference. Critical minerals is the issue du jour, if you will. How is Manitoba positioning to leverage and capitalize on this critical juncture we have in front of us? Yes, very, very excited about the critical mineral space. We have uh, a number of, this, of the 17 critical minerals in Manitoba. We have the only operating lithium mine in Canada right now. And we have uh, several companies that have deposits in Manitoba that they're doing further exploration on right now. Mm, okay, so what concrete steps have the government taken to enable junior explorers to get into the field and discover more of these uh, critical minerals that the new economy needs? Well, financially, we have the Manitoba Mineral Development Fund, which provides incentives to juniors to get out and explore. We also have permitting office. Permitting is a key feature for uh, juniors, and uh, we, we've certainly strengthened our permit office. We've added 19 employees, and we've added $5 million to catch up on any permitting that we might be slow on. We want to get people out in the field as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And then how would you say has the flow of money been into Manitoba? Uh, what does the trend look like given COVID? Well, in 2021, we uh, had $158 million worth of exploration in Manitoba, which is a, a very good number just after COVID. And we looked to increase that number in 2022. I don't have the final numbers. And uh, moving forward, uh, I've been meeting with a number of companies here and uh, their, their exploration projects look like they're going to be increased moving forward. Mm. All right. And then at the policy level, how would you characterize Manitoba's relationship with the federal government when it comes to resource development? Do you think the feds are coming to the table and really doing whatever they can to enable access to markets for the province? Yes, uh, I, uh, since becoming minister last June, I've had several meetings with the Honourable Jonathan Wilkinson, the federal minister, very supportive of what we're doing in Manitoba, uh, very anxious to work with us. In fact, we're one of the first three provinces to sign on to his resources table to work with the federal government in terms of supporting the work that uh, the mineral sector is doing in Manitoba. Okay, so what would your key message be to listeners that might be considering doing business in Manitoba or are already in Manitoba? Well, I want to echo the words of my Premier from PDAC last year. Manitoba is open for business. We're, we're determined to uh, move up in the mineral exploration rankings in the world. And we have tons of minerals, no, no pun intended, in Manitoba that we're just looking forward to working with companies on. We have green hydroelectric power. You know, the world is looking for green nickel, green lithium, things like that. And uh, we're open for business and our department is ready to do business with any company that wants to come to Manitoba. Okay, so we'll be looking out for Manitoba-made metal soon. You betcha. Yeah. All right, well, if there's anything else you'd like to add, you're welcome to. 
No, I just think that uh, I'm very excited to be at AME here. I think it's, uh, there's, there's thousands of delegates here, and I think I see the excitement in the air. I'm very excited about mineral exploration in Western Canada. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining me, Minister. Thank you, sir. Okay, cheers. Thank you very okay. much. And turning to Frick Ells at AME Roundup, he interviewed Mark Ferguson, Research Director at SMP Global Market Intelligence. And again, Frick grills Mark on the situation with lithium and the automakers. Is there enough lithium? Will the automakers be able to pull it off? Will the transition to battery and electric vehicles, in fact, be delayed? And some very interesting questions and insights with Frick Ells and Mark Ferguson coming right up. I'm joined by Mark Ferguson. He's research director for S&P Global. And today we're going to talk about the outlook for battery metals. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Good to have you. I saw your presentation this morning to a packed crowd. So battery metals, I think, is still top of mind for many people. But you said there might be a, something of a moderation, at least in, in, the, in the nearer future, in the, in the market, in demand. Absolutely. I think with what happened in the second half of 2022 with rising inflation, rising interest rates, depressed consumer sentiment, I think there could be some near-term challenges in 2023 for EV sales, but we still expect to see growth this year. It may not be as aggressive as perhaps we would have expected a year or so ago, but in the long term we still see very strong growth. Uh, for EV sales, O2 2027 at least, and certainly beyond then. Do you think perhaps the automakers are sighing a slight relief about this? Because I've also heard many people say that the targets are unrealistic. There just isn't enough lithium out there, and battery uh, prices are already going up. So the price and the demand and those things almost moved ahead of itself. I wouldn't disagree on that front. There's definitely been so much momentum in the EV space in the past couple of years. Right. And while it might bring some short-term pause and maybe a little bit of supply chain relief for those automakers, the aggressive growth in EV sales through 2027, right. we're still anticipating it to pressure the supply of lithium uh, and cobalt as well once you get down sure. a, a couple of years further down. There's, there is going to be a difficulty in supplying the lithium that's needed, right. both within the U.S. marketplace but elsewhere as well. Right. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see how quickly the new technologies might come to the fore to yeah. offset some of the mine supply, whether it's direct lithium extraction. Okay. Uh, but we do foresee deficits in lithium for most years through to 2027. And I mean, on a global scale, you had a slide about Indonesia. Uh, most of the growth in nickel mining is going to come from there uh, for the foreseeable future. We know how China is behind much of that growth. Investment there has been huge. Same thing, this happened years ago, but same thing in the DRC for cobalt. On a global scale, how would uh, Western automakers play in that space? What, what, what are they going to be forced to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly the uh, implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act is going to force a lot of those automakers to look to free trade aligned countries to secure their critical minerals. And they're certainly going to look to places like Canada, perhaps Mexico, perhaps domestically for lithium production. Right. But it will be difficult to 
deviate the current offtake agreements with existing cobalt producers yeah. or for that matter lithium producers who have an ownership in those projects whether they're in the DRC or even Australia which does have right. a free trade agreement with the US but it can still be very challenging to change the supply chain flows that are currently directed towards China right. over to the US market. That said, how much opportunity is there outside of these uh, countries that totally dominate nickel and cobalt? Do you see perhaps a kind of a two-tier system at some point? I read in the press, uh, or the general press, uh, more and more about how cobalt is mined and more and more about environmental destruction in Indonesia. What's going to happen there? I do agree with you. I think there will be a little bit of a, almost a bifurcation of some markets because, you know, North American automakers are probably going to want to source raw materials from countries that are, have strong ESG records, yeah. right? And so that's somewhat tied to the free trade alignment with the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's going to take some innovative solutions. I think we've seen some automakers start to move further upstream in the mining space to try to secure right. offtake. I think GM made a deal with Valet recently uh, on the Sudbury nickel. So I think there could be opportunities for that to continue. And they're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive with assets or companies in okay. securing that offtake from free trade aligned countries to, to help with the meeting that EV right. tax credit that requires those minimum thresholds. Where would you say the big bottleneck is for new projects? I mean, the demand is certainly there. I think much of the funding is there as well, but still it takes 10, 12, 15 years to get something on stream or not at all. Absolutely, and again, that is tied to your previous question, right? In Indonesia or the DRC, it's probably not as much of a regulatory or permitting burden to bring something online. Whereas when you're working in North America or uh, other free trade aligned countries, you can have a much more extended permitting process, environmental reviews, even legal issues. And right. so I think it's going to be incumbent upon governments to try to work on some of the permitting challenges and some of the legal challenges around mining domestically. And we've heard talk of this starting to make the news in the U.S., okay, where yeah. they are looking to perhaps tackle this permitting issue, and that is a politically a very difficult proposition to do. No? Right, so right. I think it's required to meet some of these thresholds and some of the material, raw material, critical mineral needs right. for the, not just EVs, but also overall energy transition. We've seen in Australia, I think the four large lithium mines in the space of six years that went into production. Your slide said uh, Australia is still going to dominate the additional production in the, over the next few years. Apart from permitting, what other ways can governments help? Yeah, I mean, um, if we think about what Canada has recently done, they've tried to expand their exploration mineral credit. Right. Uh, they, they've up to 30% for a company conducting exploration. Now, that's a little bit of a longer term time frame, right? right. It's still going to take perhaps 10 to 15 years once you make that initial discovery, perhaps even longer. And so I think incentivizing additional exploration trying to streamline that permitting process, trying to build a narrative around the need to do this so right. that we can hit our net zero, our lofty net zero goals by 2050, 
it's going to take it's going to require governments to be supportive of the mining industry as right. long as it's done in a responsible manner. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And finally, we have an interview with Mitchell Willadol, who is a product development associate with CDN Resource Laboratories, and he talks to the Northern Miners Henry Lazenby about the latest developments in certified reference material, CRM or standard, an important aspect of quality control for assays, lab handling, exploration drill core. Very interesting, short and sweet. Hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. Thank you for tuning in to the Northern Miner, coming to you live from the exhibition floor of the AMEBC's Roundup event in Vancouver. Joining me is Mitchell Willidal, Product Development Associate for CDN Resource Labs. Thank you for joining us, Mitchell. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's just start at the 40-foot-thousand level. Uh, please take us through what CDN Resource Labs really does. Yeah, so what we do is we manufacture a certified reference material or a standard. The mining industry uses it as kind of a calibration instrument or they use it as a quality control measure. So anytime that exploration companies pull rocks out of the ground and send it to labs, they also have to send along a CRM. And it's a certified amount in a standard so that when their lab runs the results, they know that the lab is running correctly. Okay. Now, do labs know that these CRMs are included in the batches of results, or how yeah. does it work? Good question. So they do know that they are in there, but they don't know which ones. So it's an unknown sample. It's basically a, a blank sample to them. It's very blind, yes. All right. Well, without stating the obvious, can you please just explain a little bit more about why this is an important part of the assay process? Yeah, it's really important because it's a very high uh, quality measure. So if your instrument is wrong or if your lab has results backwards, the CRM will tell you if you're off. And so it's really important to have that. It's also required with a lot of publicly traded companies that they have to have a certain amount of standards in their analytical runs to verify that the results are accurate and true. Okay, so this is a requirement of the National Instrument 43101. Yeah, it's, it's an ISO requirement. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So perhaps explain to us a little bit about where's the cutting edge of technology in your field at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So right now the big player is uh, homogeneity. So you want to make sure that your standard is very homogeneous which means that every time that you take a sample from your standard and you run it on the instrument, you're getting a very close result every time. So one of the big players in the industry right now, there's a lot of different techniques that ensure that your sample is homogenous, as well as you can use like statistical analysis to look at how homogenous your sample is. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's all about quality assurance, really. Absolutely, Okay. Yeah. What else is important to talk about in your industry? Yeah, absolutely. So one important thing is that we need to matrix match depending on your rock type. So if you have a very high sulfide rock type, you want a very high sulfide standard. You want to match that, that matrix. That's really important because if you have a mismatched matrix, your results in the end might not be representative of your own ore. Okay, so that sounds like a challenge really. How do you actually come up with like materials that match the samples that's being submitted? Absolutely, yeah. So we do a whole rock analysis which shows how much sulfur, how much oxide, all these different elements that come into play so that when a customer needs a standard, we can see what kind of minerals that they're working with and what kind of lithology and we can choose a CRM that fits that lithology. All right. Is there anything else to add to your story? I think one of the big things right now is a custom-made CRM. So we're doing something right now where we can actually take ore from a client and process it in-house and certify their own ore. So when they get 
their own ore back. It's certified and it's matrix matched to exactly the same stuff that they're using. That's really the biggest player right now. Right, so that gives them a little bit of a tool to take forward with. Right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. helps with matrix matching and it's a lot cheaper for them in, a, in the long run. Okay, excellent. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Perfect, thank you. Okay, cheers. Yeah. I don't know what's stopping Canada at this point. It seems like there is a universal recognition, at least among the people we heard speaking today, that Canada needs to develop its resources, particularly from the governments of Northwest Territories and Manitoba. So we'll see what happens here. We will continue to follow this. Thank you to Henry Lazenby and Frick Ells for the interviews. And again, in two weeks, we have the next Global Mining Symposium. So go to events.northernminer.com to sign up. If you want to help out the podcast, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.